Jesus House in Pursuit of God Discovering Purpose Maximizing Potential Impacting Lives This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London God bless you Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you will breathe upon it, that it will bring illumination to our hearts. It will break yokes, lift burdens. It will challenge us. It will be a catalyst for propelling us into the new things that you have for us. It will do all those things and more, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Now, God has given us uh, two fundamental words, two foundational words um, that have really started shaping our lives. The first one, of course, you know, and by this time, if you're part of, of this commission, part of this movement, part of this church, and those who are affiliated with us, um, you know that this word is defining who we are. It's taken out of Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, verses 18 and 19. You know the scriptures by now. And, and it's basically talking about God doing a new thing in our lives. And the second scripture is taken from Songs of Songs, Songs of Solomon, the second chapter, Uh, the 13th verse, specifically in the Passion Translation, but just for context, verses 11, 12, and 13. Again, if I summarize the word, it's about God taking each one of us into a new day of destiny. Now, if God says he's doing a new thing, I'm sure you will agree with me that It's a new thing that will touch every area of our lives. And so today, as I promised last week, I want to start talking about the new and you, your money and your finances. It's really the new and your finances. There's um, a story in the Bible that you kind of learned learned in in Sunday school that I want to use as a foundation text for this Sunday and next Sunday because I, I, will, I will do a part two next Sunday. And it's the story of the widow's might. And we all know that story. Uh, two of the Gospels recorded, Mark's Gospel, the 12th chapter, verses 43 and 44, and Luke's, Luke's Gospel, the 21st chapter, verses 1 to 4. Read the story very quickly Um, out of Mark's gospel. I'll read from verse 41 to 44 out of Mark's gospel. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites which makes a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all 
that she had, her whole livelihood. We'll reference this scripture um, um, uh, both this Sunday and next Sunday. It forms some sort of foundation um, for what I want to share uh, with you. Um, it's, 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 it's revealing that Jesus, out of all the places he could have been at in the temple, went and sat at the treasury and observed what most of us would think should be a private transaction, a private act between us and, 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 and heaven. But he sat there with his disciples and got them to observe what was going on as the collection, the offering was being given. And he did that because he wanted to teach them some life lessons about money. And there are many life lessons that he teaches them in that short paragraph where he speaks to them and, to, and speaks to us. But what I wanted to drive home at this point in time was the fact that what was going on there, the transaction that was taking place, was so important that Jesus sat there to observe it. The Bible has a lot to say about money, and so it should be. Because, of course, we all know money is a necessity. It's a medium of exchange. We purchase things, goods and services with it. It will play a significant role in a person's life. And as a result, our relationship with money matters to God. So the Bible talks a great deal about it. In more than 2,000 verses, twice as many verses as the Bible talks about faith and prayer combined, the Bible talks about money. It talks about working hard for it. It talks about making money. It talks about using money, giving money away, managing money, saving money. It talks about things like debt and greed and planning and stewardship. It talks about where we can find money. And then it talks about what true wealth is. Did you know that of the 38 parables that Jesus teaches us, 16 of them deal with money and possessions. You might know that a quarter of what Jesus says is related to biblical stewardship. God understands that it's going to play a major part in life. And so the intention of God's intention is I, I bet he better get us to handle it correctly, to use it correctly. But of course, the enemy does not want us to talk about it because he doesn't want us to understand God's principles, the kingdom way, the culture of the kingdom, and how God wants us to relate to money and use it for his purposes. And whilst we're going to be talking about what God is doing, the new thing he's doing in our lives concerning money. There are some basic foundations 
that basic principles that we must understand so that God can do what he wants to do. You know, the, once, when I started thinking about this, the morning I started thinking about this, I got, a, I got a, a message from one of our leaders, and she's quite accurate um, when God gives her revelations. And she, she said this to me. She said, Pastor, good morning and welcome back. I have a strong sense to mention to you that God is shifting wealth allocations and redirecting the resources needed for the kingdom work. We will begin to see people we never imagined would have wealth explode with resources for the work, even in a time of recession. He's asking us to shed weight and trust him and not despise any, anything or anyone. Amen. And this was the morning I started thinking the next thing I want that I feel led to talk about is the new and our finances. So certain basic principles, that's just for today. And we don't have much time, so we'll, we'll go as fast as we can. And just please take the scriptures, study them. The Holy Spirit will amplify it. If we move very fast, we'll, we'll finish on time. Two foundational principles I want to deal with first. They're going to, go to, going to go through seven, but two foundational principles. If you don't understand these two, it is impossible for you to flow, um, to be used by God in any way. It's impossible for God to bless you with resources. Um, God himself, if you don't understand, this basic two. All the seven are important, but this basic two. Number one is the principle of ownership. I'm sure you have heard people say, my money. It's a dangerous phrase. Because it isn't your money or my money. It's God's money and you and I are merely stewards of God's money. And it doesn't matter how much the money is. It doesn't matter what we think we have done to deserve the money. The foundational principle is that one of ownership. And if we don't get that into our heads, it's a stumbling block to every other thing. That it is God's money and we are stewards of God's money. I'm sure you know instantly that knocks pride out of the way in what you have done or what you have. Because you realize that it isn't your own. You don't own it. You were given it, and you are expected to be a good steward of it. Job 41 verse 11, the New Living Translation says, Who has given me anything that I need to pay back? This is God speaking. Everything under heaven is mine. The prophet Haggai says it even more bluntly in terms of ownership. In Haggai, the second chapter and the eighth verse, The silver is mine. And the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. It can't be, he couldn't have put it more clearly. He says that the symbols of money, the silver and the gold, he says they are mine. They are not yours. They are not, they are not mine, as in Agus. They are mine, God says. And you know, if the parable of the talents, which we all love and we all know, tells us anything, it drives home 
foundationally this principle of ownership. And you know, we have to get it into our heads. It can be a concept that has no reality in our lives. The money is sitting in HSBC, it's sitting in an ISA, you know, it's, um, it's, 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 been, it's been put into stocks and shares. And sometimes as we move this money around, we plan for it, we spend it. It is so easy to forget that it is another person's money we are spending. We don't own it, God owns it. It would change our lives fundamentally if this principle was enshrined in our lives that God owns the silver and the gold. And you know the parable of the talents. Um, when, 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 when Jesus starts to share the parable in Matthew's gospel, the 25th chapter, I won't go through the whole thing, it's pretty long, but, but verses 14 and 15 where he introduces it. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went away. That is a sermon that could preach itself. And I'm, I was tempted to go down that route, but I'm conscious of time. Because it is ultimately God who gives the wealth. He gave one five, he gave one two, he gave one one. And how many know that the one who was given one, he can do catwheels, he can hang upside down, he can do whatever he likes. He's not going to get five because five was not given to him by God. And it was given to him according to what God would have him do, the ability that God had given to him. But what I wanted to drive home is that the, 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 the picture of the man traveling far away and he gives his goods. If you look at it in the Passion Translation, it, 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 it drives home this point. Again, heaven's kingdom realm is like a wealthy man who went on a long journey and summoned all his trusted servants and assigned his financial management over to them. He assigned his finance. It was all about money. He assigned his financial management of his own goods over to them. And before he left on his journey, he entrusted a bag of 5,000 gold coins to one of his servants, to another a bag of 2,000 gold coins, and to the third a bag of 1,000 gold coins, each according to his ability to manage. And he came back. He didn't just give it to them and go and disappear. He came back. At some day, we are going to give an account for what God has given us. As surely as God lives, someday we are going to give an account of the resources that he put in our hands. And in verse 19 it says, After a long time he returned and settled his accounts with them. The 5,000 coins I gave you, what did you do with it? The job I gave you and the good salary I gave you, what did you do with it? The businesses I brought your way that made so much profit, what did you do with it? Someday we will give account. The money you were blessed with, what did you do with it? You know, if there's one thing you realize if you understand the principle of ownership, you realize that it's not by your efforts. 
You know, one of my favorite scriptures when I gave my life to Christ was Ecclesiastes, the ninth chapter and the eleventh verse. I found that scripture fascinating. Solomon says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. It wasn't because the guy was fast that the guy won the race. He says, the battle is not to the strong. It wasn't because the guy had strength that he overcame in battle. He says, no bread to the wise. He was saying there are many wise men who can't eat. No riches to men of understanding. He was saying it's not because you have understanding that you suddenly are rich. No favor to men of skill. That it is possible to have a lot of skill and God doesn't give you any favor. He says, but time and chance happen to them all. What was he saying? There's a God in heaven who causes time and chance to favor you. You're in the right place at the right time, speaking to the right person. And suddenly a door opens for you, saying the right things. And then you find yourself in a place where you're blessed as a result. Don't think it was your effort, your skill, your intellect, your degree, your university. Don't think it was any of those things. Always understand that there is a God in heaven who by grace has caused time and chance to favor you and that's why you are where you are. I'm sure you agree now that Jesus was entitled to sit at the treasury. You know why? He wanted to know what they were doing with his thing. These people, let me find out what they are doing with what I gave them. He had a right to be there. Number two, big um, foundational um, the two foundational things I want to deal with. The second one is the principle of purpose. The principle of purpose. If you don't understand the purpose of money, you will abuse it. How many are grateful to God for Miles Monroe? Yeah? If there's one thing Miles Monroe has made this, amongst the many great things he, he did, he made us understand purpose. As Miles Monroe said to us, and this, these are principles I imbibed at the start of my Christian life. If you don't know the purpose for a thing, you will abuse the thing. And as he would say in his special way, that word abuse is a combination of two words, abnormal and use. So you don't know the purpose for a thing, you will use it abnormally. And part of the challenge, and it's not just out there, it's very much in the church, is that people don't understand the purpose of money. And amongst the many examples I could share, the one that really has always captivated my attention in the Bible is the story of the children of Israel. You know the story. For 430 years, they're in captivity. You also know that it's a type and a shadow of us being in captivity to the Pharaoh of our own world, Satan, uh, trapped in sin. And then you know how one day God 
appoints a deliverer. Exodus, the third chapter, explains it. And you know that deliverer, Moses, is a type of our own deliverer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the deliverer goes back to Egypt, and there's a contention between him and Pharaoh because Pharaoh does not want to let God's people go. And you know that the type and shadow of that contention for you and I took place on the cross of Calvary. And after Jesus' death, him going down to to hell where Satan was and taking control from Satan. But in Moses' case, it's, it's a contention that plays itself out over ten plagues. And finally, with the last plague, the death of all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh has no choice but to release the children of Israel to go and worship God. Of course, we know our own story. With his death and resurrection, the kingdom of darkness had no choice but to release us to go and worship God in a a life-giving relationship with his son, Jesus. And so God gave the children of Israel instructions. Exodus, the 12th chapter, verses 35 and 36. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered Egypt. So, you know, um, our leader spoke about God doing something about resource allocation. This was the ultimate resource allocation. As they were going, God miraculously granted them supernatural favor. And so Moses told them, when you're going, go to your neighbors. Ask them for their gold, their silver, their precious stones, the the fine cloth that they have, as if they were in a trance. You know, when God's favor works for you, you are amazed. As if the people were in a trance. You go and knock on the neighbor's door and say, where's your gold? Where's your silver? You know know where you kept it. And while you're at it, some of that fancy linen, dyed wool, all that stuff, bring it. And as if in a trance, they go to their safes, they open the safes, favor is something else. They come back and they hand it to you. And the Bible says they plundered Egypt. Plundered Egypt. To show you how much they plundered Egypt, when they had gone and Pharaoh came to himself, he thought, what? Not only has my human resource gone that built my economy, they have taken everything that we have. And that's why Pharaoh pursued them with such anger. But the question you've got to ask yourself, God, they're going into a desert. Who spends silver in a desert? What on earth can gold buy in a desert? Who needs fancy linen and dyed, dyed rams, ram skins? And who needs that in the desert? The question you've got to ask God, what was the purpose of such supernatural favor? Why did you stupefy their enemies, put them in some sort of stupor, and cause them to give away everything? 
There has to have been a purpose for it, Lord. It wasn't just to wear them as the people thought, because that's what they did immediately. They wore them as earrings, wore them as bracelets, as, as things around their ankles. I mean, they were looking for reasons. They were looking for, for a purpose for this. So since we have the silver, let's wear them. And isn't that a bit like us? Since we have the money, let's buy another bag. And yet you have 22 bags and you only have two hands, but then you say, let's buy more bags. Let's buy more shoes. Someone has 270 pairs of shoes and only two feet. So it tells you something has gone wrong somewhere. In the country of my birth, someone has 14 cars, 14 cars. And the person who made the car tells you that if you don't drive this car, it, it's, going to go, it's, going to, it's going to malfunction. So you buy the car so that it can malfunction, so that you can pay them more money to fix the car. It's madness. And that's how the children of Israel were until somewhere in their journey, God said, I want to build a tabernacle for myself. I want to build a dwelling for myself. And then God gives Moses specific instructions as to the dwelling. What it was look like, the materials to use, detailed instructions. And Moses must have thought, where do you want me to get all this gold? Everything is overlaid with gold. Everything has, you know, where am I going to find this? And then the Spirit of God must have revealed to him. Exodus 35, verses 4 to 6 and 8 to 9. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, precious stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Moses said, bring the offering. God has already given it to you. You have it. That's what that whole miracle, the favor was about. God was giving it to you to prepare you for his assignment, for what he would, what he would need you to do, for the building of his kingdom. And then when you read verses 2 to 5 of Exodus 36, then Moses called Bezaliel and Aholiab, and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord, had, the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. Now, you can have all the gifted people, all the skilled people, all the committed voluntary workers, if you don't have the material resources, the vision is going nowhere. So they had Bezaliel and Aholiab and a whole host of artisans who were skilled. But it wasn't until, as the Bible says, they received from Moses all the offering 
which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary that they could get to work. And it's interesting that enshrined in this Old Testament scripture is a fundamental principle of how this works. For it says, so they continued bringing to him free will offerings. It's a free will offering. That's why if you find yourself at a place where you're being manipulated to give, being cajoled, harassed to give, you know that cannot be of God. Because it is always with God a free will offering. It says, then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. What does that tell, tell us? It says that for the work of God, for what God has planned, a spirit of generosity is a necessity. The people kept bringing and bringing and bringing until the artisan said, what they bring is too much. And of course, it was to build a physical home for God. But you and I know that it's not a physical home for God as New Testament believers. And there's no story in the Bible that drives this home like the story of Joseph of Arimathea. Here was a man who had been given wealth by God for a purpose. And the purpose became clear when Jesus died. What, what would normally happen to the body of someone who died in the hideous way that Jesus died? What would normally happen? Is that the body would be cast into a shallow grave, and that was the best, but eventually scavengers... Animals that scavenge would dig up the shallow grave and eat up the body. Or the worst is that the body would just be cast aside and vultures, scavengers, would come and pick at the body. That would have been the fate of the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But there was a man called Joseph of Arimathea who had been blessed by God and understood that the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the strong. He understood that time and chance blessed me in the way that it blessed me. And so Joseph of Arimathea, a man of stature, could go to Pilate and say to him, give me the body of Jesus. And guess what? He already had a tomb prepared. He didn't know that that was the reason. He was just following God. And so he takes the body of Christ and gives it a burial in the tomb. Thank God for the women as well who were around Jesus, led by Mary. These were wealthy. Mary, Mary was a wealthy entrepreneur. They were wealthy entrepreneurs. 
some of those women. So they could buy expensive spices that would embalm the body. And that's exactly what they did. I'm sure you understand where I'm going. Where are the Joseph, the Josephs of Arimathea, who understand the purpose for which God has blessed them? Who understand that the purpose for which God has blessed them is to make sure that the body of Christ is not scavenged by scavengers. To make provision for the body, the poor, the needy, the physical provision of the facilities, the pain of those who are the Levites who are working, giving their lives to serve as Levites. Where are the Marys who, are, who, could, who, who could go and spend money, the, more than a day's wages on an alabaster box of expensive perfume and break it over the head of Jesus? Unknown to the people, she was starting the process of preparing him for his death. And the challenge in the church today is that they're known, they're few. Because a world system has taken over the heart of the church. Where people don't understand that you are blessed to be a blessing. And it's all about acquisition and retaining. And the principle that is enshrined in God giving his son to the world of this expansive generosity is lost with a world's culture that says acquire it and spend it on yourself. A religion, as we will find out. The purpose of money is to advance the kingdom of God in all its ramifications. It is to show the love of Christ in a practical way. To touch those who don't know Christ with the love of Christ. The purpose of money is to preserve and strengthen the body of Christ. To prevent it from rotting and decaying. And to protect it from scavengers. That's the purpose of money. And if we don't understand the purpose of a thing, like Miles Monroe says, we abuse it. Hallelujah. Well, they say my time is up by three minutes. That was point two of seven. How many can't wait for next week? Okay. Next week we continue. Hallelujah. But the, the, what I've shared, dwell on it. These are, these are, maybe that's the way God wanted it. The two foundational principles, ownership and purpose. Ownership and purpose. Once you can get around those, the rest will be, will be a lot easier, as you will find. Ownership and purpose. It belongs to God. And he gives it to us for 
a purpose. You know, as I've shared this vision for the new, you know, she talked about the base and what we want to do in the base. By next year, um, if that's what God wants, we'll be out of here. We need a new place. Um, it's going to cost us a fortune. Um, as I talked about the hubs, someone said to me, how are you going to finance? Where are you going to get the money for all these things? I said, no. God does never orders without paying for it. If God gives a vision, he has already made provision. So as I said to the person, I said, somebody out there in Jesus' house already has the tomb that's going to preserve the body, already has the money for the expensive ointment that's going to be poured on the body. Somebody out there has already received favor that has supernaturally caused resource to move from somewhere into their hands. I say it's already been done. God does not start and figure out what he's doing as he's going. He finishes the end from the beginning. So I said, don't worry. That's why I don't fret. It is there in someone's account in Jesus' house. It's locked in someone's ISA, someone's savings. And if the person does not understand the purpose and ownership, oh, trust me, someone outside Jesus' house has been given and all it takes the spirit of God to minister to that person's heart and if that person is more yielded to obeying the spirit it will come from that person but finance what he has ordered pay for it God always does so I never stress if God does not bring provision God did not order it it's as simple as that the silver, that's an authoritative statement. The silver and the gold are mine, says the Lord of hosts. They are mine. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. We glorify your name and we exalt you. Thank you for revelation into your culture your kingdom ways of relating with money. Next week, Lord, maybe even the week after, at this rate, take us deeper, Heavenly Father. We give you all the praise and all the glory. And Lord, you demonstrated this spirit of generosity In that because of your love for us, you gave your only son, Jesus Christ. That all we have to do is believe in him and we won't perish. We won't be cast away from you for eternity. But we, will, we are welcomed by our belief and our confession into a relationship with you here on earth and a relationship for eternity. What a demonstration of generosity. And Lord, again this morning you offer us, and I know some will be watching in the afternoon and in the evening, wherever you are in the world and wherever you watch it later. He's offering you again the fruit of that generosity. His son, Jesus Christ. 
It's the way and the only way to a relationship with God. And so wherever you are, if you would like to start that journey, we talk about God doing the new. This is the ultimate new. The Bible says you are transported from one kingdom into another. All things pass away. All things become new. He's offering you that. And so wherever you are in this auditorium or you're watching online, you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to accept him as Lord and Savior. You want to enter the new and you haven't started that journey. If you would love to do so, it's my privilege to pray with you. I would really love to as he ushers you into his family. Will you say after me, whether you're in this auditorium or you're watching online, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the generosity of spirit that you have showed me in sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to take on my sins, the sinless one, that I might be set free. I receive that gift today into my life. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I make a commitment, help me God, to live a life that is pleasing to you. I turn away from anything sinful that I might have been doing or I was doing. Help me, God. I believe now, Father, that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Today I am born again into your family. I am now a child of yours. And I thank you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, congratulations if you said that prayer. Um, if you said it in this hall or you, you're watching online and you said that prayer. Welcome into the family of God, the start of a journey, a start of a relationship. This is really the ultimate new that God has done in your life. Hallelujah and hallelujah. Amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, let's look forward to what I reckon will be a two or three part series as we kind of dwell. We'll talk a bit more about practical things, um, the, the things to do at some point in this series uh, as, as we go forward. Hallelujah. It's a series within a series, if you get the point, um, as we talk about um, our relationship with money and what God would have us do with it. Um, and I'll tell you at the end what I am expecting uh, God to do and what I have started to see already God doing. Some amazing things in the last two or three months in this area um, of finances and, and wealth uh, um, in its totality. Hallelujah. God bless you.